So four characters in our passage today. The four characters are Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Jesus. Four characters, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, and Jesus. And Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, all friends of Jesus. In fact, when Lazarus became deathly sick, Martha and Mary, who were sisters, Lazarus is the brother, they sent for Jesus, and they knew what he could do, and that's why they sent for him. They sent for Jesus, and this is an important point not to miss, though as soon as I say it, you're going to say, well, of course that's why they sent for Jesus. Sounds simple, but don't miss this. It's important to the story. They sent for Jesus because they wanted him to heal Lazarus before he died. We all tracking with that? They sent for Jesus because they wanted him to heal Lazarus, their brother, before he died. Now, I know that sounds obvious. Duh. Of course, that's why you call your friend who can do miracles. I mean, no, none of us have done that. But if we are them, if we were them, we would be doing the same thing. You call your friend who can do miracles, in this case, uh, to heal your brother before he dies from sickness. Uh, But this is an important point for us to understand because of how Jesus responds. That sets the tone for the whole passage here. You see, Jesus had other plans in mind. He had different plans in mind than Mary and Martha had for their brother Lazarus. Follow along starting in at John 11. We're going to jump back to verse 3, way before what we just read there. Follow along start, starting at John 11, verse 3. Says, so the sisters sent to him again because they wanted Jesus to heal Lazarus before he died. They sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They wanted Jesus to get the message and to come and heal their brother. But, verse 4, when Jesus heard it, when he heard the message that they sent, he said to his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Which is a strange thing to say. And when Jesus says this, he's not giving a diagnosis like a doctor. It's a little confusing at first, but he's telling his disciples that he's going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. So he's saying that through this particular illness... In Lazarus' case, it's not going to lead to death, but to life through death. This illness does not lead to death, he says, but to life even after death. Don't miss this because it's a very important concept for this whole story. This illness they thought led to death, actually with Jesus on the scene, will lead to life after death. We track him with what Jesus is saying here. And then Jesus even says, this illness, this illness that leads to life after death is for God's glory. Which is to say, at the very beginning, without uh, the disciples even catching on, and we'll continue to see that theme of people being unaware, misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. At the very beginning here, Jesus is saying there's a bigger divine purpose in Lazarus' Dying, which does not sound good. (laughs) 
I mean, imagine this is your sibling. Imagine this is your family member. And Jesus says, it's cool. Don't worry. They're dying. It's for a larger purpose. I've got this. Many of us have experienced exactly those kinds of scenarios and feelings. There's a bigger divine purpose in Lazarus dying. Listen again to what Jesus says. He says that Lazarus's death is for the glory of God so that for the purpose that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There's a double meaning here that the disciples don't catch at this moment. But Jesus is saying that Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead, a death that leads to life. And that death that leads to life is going to be a foreshadowing of his own death that leads to life, his own resurrection. But the disciples don't have the hindsight like we do of 2,000 years. So there's that. So we shouldn't be too hard on them. Jump down to verse 11 here. We continue to see the misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Jesus to the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, which is a common way to talk about dying. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. By which Jesus meant, I'm going to raise him from the dead. But, keep, keep reading there, verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. As if Jesus didn't know how sleep works, right? Now Jesus, verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Thanks, John, just in case we weren't tracking with what Jesus is going to say here. Then Jesus told them plainly, verse 14, no dummies. No, that's not what he says. He says, Lazarus has died. Lazarus has died. Track with me here, disciples. Lazarus is dead. We're not talking about sleeping here. And that's important for them to understand what's going to become clear later. So the disciples aren't tracking. Jesus tells them plainly, verse 14, Lazarus has died. Keep reading. And for your sake, him speaking to the disciples there, for your sake, I am glad I was not there as they wanted me to be so that you may believe. In other words, for your sake, for your faith to grow, I'm glad that I wasn't there to heal Lazarus before he died so that you may believe in me. So he says, so let us go. Let's go to Lazarus. Let's go together and prove that I have the power over death. Look at verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, this is the same one we call Doubting Thomas. He shows some courage here, but he's not so aware of it. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. And because the Jewish and the Roman authorities were onto Jesus by now, uh, and the Jewish powers that be had already threatened to kill Jesus, Thomas might have been joking here a little bit, like, well, let's all go to Jerusalem and get ourselves killed along with Lazarus. Yay, sound good? I think John includes Thomas's comment here because looking back, he spoke a lot more truth than he knew at the time. <laughs> they were going to go die with him, but not in the ways that they could yet understand. So, Lazarus is sick. Jesus is going to let him die. 
the disciples don't understand Jesus' larger purposes. And as you can imagine, neither do Lazarus' sisters, especially Martha. And so let's listen to that conversation here between Jesus and Martha. Look at uh, verse 17. When Jesus came, meaning when he came to Bethany where Lazarus was, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. We're going to simmer here for a little bit. He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. John includes this detail for a couple reasons here. Number one, because some Jews believe that the soul sort of hovered over the body for three full days, trying to re-enter uh, the body, sort of get back into it to become reunited with it. That was a theory a lot of the Jews had. So John includes this detail about Lazarus being in the tomb four days because he wants to make sure that we understand um, Princess Bride, that Lazarus wasn't just mostly dead, thank you, but that he was all dead. This wasn't a resuscitation that's going on here. This was an actual resurrection. John wants to make sure that we, his readers, understand that Jesus is bringing Lazarus to life, not as a resuscitation like he wasn't quite dead, but he was all the way dead. There are some other important details throughout that tell that, but we're not going to get into them. That's an important detail to include here. Second reason John includes this detail here in this verse, it's important to the story to know that Jesus didn't come immediately upon hearing Martha's and Mary's message about their brother being sick. John 11.6 tells us, that it was only after he heard about Lazarus' sickness that he stayed where he was two more days. This helps us understand in just a moment here why Mary and Martha are a little miffed at Jesus, especially Martha that we'll read here in just a second. We'll come back to that. But back to the story here. Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus and Martha and Mary are from, just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. And Lazarus has been dead four days. Pick it up, verse uh, 18 there. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, which is John saying, hey, for the record, the Jewish and the Roman leaders had already been threatening Jesus, and they're going to be aware of him. This is the turn toward the cross uh, that, that happens here in the Gospel of John. Um, so he's tipping us off to that. Many of the Jews, verse 19, had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard, verse 20, so when Martha, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, which is a little bit of a breach of custom. Um, it was Jewish custom to sit with the body for seven full days at the home. And Martha breaks that custom, and Mary remains in the house there. So Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went and met him, but Mary, just like the custom, remained seated in the house. And verse 21 Martha said to Jesus, Here's the miffed part <laughs> uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you hear a little angsty teenager there, I think that's a smidge of the implication of the text here. Martha is not happy. And it may feel like I'm overreaching here, but I envision Martha getting all up in Jesus' face, 
because he didn't come in time to prevent her brother from dying. And she knows he has the power to heal him. That may feel like I'm laying on a little thick, and perhaps she means it genuinely, but, but many modern scholars of the Bible think that because of how both Martha and Mary verbalized this phrase that they say here, Mary later on says the same exact thing, that they are not happy with Jesus. They are clearly implying that Jesus should have been here because remember, <laughs> he didn't come immediately upon hearing. He came after an extra two days after he knew that Lazarus was sick. So in effect, Martha is saying, if you hadn't waited to come, Jesus, he wouldn't be dead. Strong words. <laughs> Strong words. And maybe she realizes, as we can tell from the next verse that she came on, maybe a little bit too strong, because she, she tries to redeem herself a little bit here. Look at the next verse there, verse uh, 22. She says, even now, <laughs> even despite the fact that I'm upset with you, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And you can make a case here that verse 22 is Martha begging Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead, like right then and there. But I don't think she's really asking for this. There are a number of reasons further on in the text that imply that she still doesn't think that, that he could raise Lazarus uh, from the dead. Keep reading verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. He will rise again. By which Jesus means like, as soon as I get there, relax. But she doesn't catch it. It was a more immediate promise than she knew. And Martha said to him, verse 24, I know Jesus. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Duh, we all know that. But listen to Jesus' ultimately gracious response to her in verse 25. Jesus said to Martha, Listen, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't think you're tracking with what I'm implying that you're calling into question. And you've been sure you know. I'm here telling you, I am the resurrection and the life. Not merely, I will cause the resurrection. Not, I will be a foretaste and a foreshadow, like sort of John the Baptist was for me. Like, not just like a prophet of the last day. It's not like I'm going to usher those in. I'm saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Here, today, at present available right now, you can know life after death in me in a way you're not yet seeing. This is one of seven places in the Gospel of John that we call the I am statements where Jesus very intentionally uses this Jewish way of, of calling God the I am. It harkens back to the Old Testament uh, when God revealed himself to Moses as the I am, 
which is a way of saying lots of things. It's a way of saying the one who was and is and is to come, the forever existent being who holds all power, who created the universe. Jesus here intentionally says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. As a way of saying, I hold before you right now the power to bring new life after death right now in the present moment. So what Jesus is doing here, what he is saying, what he's saying and naming for her out loud is that God is fundamentally beyond all of our traditional concepts of life and death. All all our traditional concepts of human life and death are redefined by Jesus. He's removing them from this time-bound concept we have where matter decays, right, to an entirely new category of existence that depends on Him breathing life into someone or something. This isn't about biology. This is about the God of the universe holding all things in His hands. Martha, I am resurrection. He means that more radically than she could possibly understand at the time. He means to say, all existence finds its reality in me. In a way that explodes all your previous categories of life and death. Which, which explains why the disciples weren't exactly tracking well. <laughs> like they hadn't seen resurrection as he would soon demonstrate. Mar- Martha had no... No idea that that in a few moments here he would stand before this cave and say, roll away the stone. She still didn't believe even then. She's the one who later on would say, "Uh, he's been dead for four days, Jesus. It's going to smell. And he says, don't you remember I just told you? I, I, I just told you this. It's something they couldn't have tracked with or understood until they saw it, lived out in front of them. It's why the disciples weren't tracking. It's why Martha didn't follow. It's why we live in fear, still feeling and thinking with time-bound biological ideas about life and death that don't exist as problems for the God of the universe. It's why we live in fear. It's why we live feeling like this emotional weight I have, it makes me feel like I want to die. But you needn't give that power because Jesus is resurrection and life. He says it, verse 25, whoever believes in me, even though he die, (laughs) yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is nothing less than the perfect power of Creator God to bring into present reality the life of Christ to make you forever new. Meaning when you have Christ, not in the someday, but in the now, in the today, like He's saying to Martha, you have a life that never dies. And then He says, do you... Do you actually believe this? Like, do you believe that I have power 
over life and death in the here and in the now, in present reality. She says to him, and, and listen for how this isn't really an answer to his question. <laughs> yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, right? Like the Messiah, the concept of a man who would come to usher in the kingdom with military might as the Jews believed. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I mean, that sounds like a strong statement of belief in Jesus, which at one level it is, in a way she couldn't understand. But the way she thought about it, it doesn't even really respond to his question. She says she believes in Christ, the Messiah. And for her, that came with a whole set of assumptions that did not include real-time, present reality, power over life and death in ultimate terms. It didn't include that in her conception of that. She still didn't quite believe even then. To make the point, just before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, roll away the stone. Martha herself protests. He's been there four days. And then Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then then he does what he promised, which they couldn't have conceived of until he actually did it. He raises Lazarus from the dead, right before the disciples and the Jews that had come to comfort Martha and Mary and Martha and Mary themselves. And he did that for this reason, to prove, to prove that resurrection was not just a someday thing. Resurrection is also a today thing. Resurrection is not just a far off in eternity, future, someday when we get there, reality. Resurrection is not just a someday thing. It's a today thing for the believer in Jesus. The resurrection life for us, ultimately, it means more because it means living as if already raised to life beyond the grave. That's the power that's available for people who believe in Jesus. Living as if already raised to life beyond the grave. The resurrection life means more because it means we need not fear death. We need not fear suffering. We need not fear loss nor pain. That doesn't mean those things don't hurt. That doesn't mean those things aren't real. It does mean those things don't defeat. Here's what's crazy about Christians, friends. (laughs) We actually believe this. We actually believe that by faith in Jesus, the resurrection we previously conceived as a future hope can be a present reality. It's why if you're a follower of Jesus, the fact that you already have eternal life today means you can live with an abandon that fears nothing and is threatened by no one. If you want to see a resurrection life believer who gets it, you will see in them a life that lives with an abandon that fears nothing and is threatened by no one.
That's the kind of life that people see in you and they say, there's something going on there. There's something going on there. The promise here, friends, is that when we have Jesus, we live as if already raised to life. We live as if already raised to life beyond the grave. And friends, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it might be because you've missed the point. Like the disciples and like Martha. Maybe you've not yet seen your need for resurrection. Maybe you've not yet seen your need for resurrection because you believe that what you really need in life is just sort of a nice Jesus who waves a magic wand to fix your moral maladies and make you just a little bit better on the scales of, of like human goodness, right? That's what you're looking for in Jesus. Like he is some sort of cosmic doctor who just gives us spiritual medicine to make us feel temporarily well. The truth is, Jesus didn't die to resuscitate you. He died to resurrect us. His death to give us life because we were dead. Friends, He is the resurrection. And there is no life apart from Him. Let's pray. Father, in the middle of days where we feel losses because of the very death we say you have power over. Father, in days where we suffer because we feel the weight of emotions that overwhelm, because of day after day where it is hard for us to find hope in the here and now because we see around us uh, pain and hurt and suffering. Father, we ask that you would be for us life. We ask that you would continue to teach us what it means to live as if alive forever. Thank you for your son Jesus and for the example he is to us. We're grateful for those who have gone before, whose faith was such that they feared nothing and were threatened by no one so that they could stand as resurrected believers who modeled for us what new life looks like. Give us, Lord, the same kind of courage to say yes to your risen Son, Jesus, who is for us life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.